if we talk about satellite technology and what is specific to satellite technology, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is there is no repair shop. It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rule book, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Susan Campbell, and this is The Big Rethink. talk about satellites. They float in space. Some even talk to dishes or receivers on our houses. Most of us know what they are, but what they do and how they do it is less familiar. You may not realize it, but satellites affect our everyday lives and the impact is growing. With advancements in recent years, satellites are addressing the rural broadband challenge, bringing mobile connectivity to remote areas of the world. With access to fast communications comes safer, more technologically advanced ways of life. So how do these floating metal structures bring this connectivity down to earth? Today, we welcome Jean-Luc Froliger to the podcast. Jean-Luc is Senior Vice President of Space Systems at Intelsat, a company working to provide the connectivity to the globe. Thank you so much for joining today. Thank you, Susan, and uh, glad to be able to join the Big Rethink. Yeah, this is such an interesting topic. You know, satellites have been around for so long, and Intelsat, for that matter, has been around a long time, too. You were one of the first commercial satellite companies. Tell us a bit about the history and what you're doing today with satellites. So as you mentioned, Intelsat is one of the founders of commercial space, we're actually celebrating our 60th anniversary next year. Wow. Yeah, 60 years. When Intelsat was originally uh, founded in 1964, it was an IGO, an intergovernmental organization, same models than the World Bank or the IMF. Intelsat uh, original members were 11 countries. So the biggest country was the United States, therefore the headquarters in Washington, D.C. There were other big countries like the U.K. or Japan, but a less known fact is one of the 11 founders of Intelsat was Vatican City. Interesting. The Pope at the time thought it would be cool to use satellites. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah. So it's not just countries, it's countries and territories that were involved in the <laughs> in the founding of the company. I Correct. love that. Our very first satellite, Early Bird, was launched in 1965. It provided 200 phone channels between the U.S. and Europe, uh, which was doubling the amount of phone lines between the two continents. Uh, an interesting fact is that at the time, 1965, launch vehicles were not very reliable, not as reliable as they are today. So the company decided to build two satellites for the price of one. In case the first satellite launch would be unsuccessful, we would have a second satellite to launch. Fortunately, the first launch was successful. So the second satellite was never launched. And uh, it was used as a showpiece in our headquarters for many, many years. And then uh, a year ago, we donated it to the Smithsonian Institution it's currently being renovated and will be in full display at the Air and Space Museum very soon. Oh, that's fascinating. And how did you get started in the business? What led you to Intelsat and the journey to your current role there? Yeah, so I, as you can tell from my accent, uh, I grew up in France uh, and I developed a passion for space very, very early on in middle school. 
uh, I got introduced to to space through science fiction, reading science fiction books and watching science fiction movies, 2001, A Space Odyssey, uh, Forbidden Planets, uh, the, the Day the Earth Stood Still. So I decided to study aerospace engineering and I've been working in that field ever since. And I imagine there's a lot of opportunity to put that um, passion and learning to work in your day job. <laughs> yes, yes. Very, very, very uh, passionate about what I do. And so are my colleagues. So that's something that specific or to to the space industry, everywhere I go, I I meet very, very passionate people. Nice. Well, I, I guess as, as general public, we might take for granted the number of daily capabilities that this satellite connectivity grants to us. Most people don't really understand how that connectivity works. Can you share a little more about how satellite technology operates to provide us with that reliable connectivity? Sure. So think of a satellite, and specifically we're talking about communication satellites, uh, about a giant signal relay in space, just like a cell tower on the ground, uh, except it's much higher up. Right, so it cover a wide area on the globe. Well, cell tower will only cover a few uh, miles or or hundred of miles. Uh, a satellite can cover a very very large uh, piece of the Earth. So we typically like to uh, put communication satellite uh, under three categories, depending on what orbit they're working at. So we talk about Leo, Mio, and Geo satellite. So the LEO satellite, that stands for Low Earth Orbit, those are satellites that are operated between 400 and 1,000 kilometers over the Earth. So if you're going to use LEO satellites to cover the Earth, you're going to need many of them because they cover only a small portion of the Earth, and that's why we talk about LEO constellation. Now, the good thing about LEO satellite is because they're so close to the Earth, the time it takes the signal to go from the Earth to the satellite and back to the Earth is very short. We're talking about 30 milliseconds. Then we go to the MEO satellite, medium Earth satellite. So those are typically operated between 5,000 and 20,000 kilometers. Your typical MEO satellite are your global positioning system satellite, the GPS (laughs) that you use in your car. That was going to be my question. That was going to be my question. Help me understand how my car works. (laughs) Okay, so that's the Milo satellite. Interesting. Milo. And and then probably the most used satellite are the geo satellites, so geo as for Earth. So those satellites are operated at at a very specific altitude that's 36,000 kilometers over the Earth. That altitude is the altitude at which the satellite rotates around the Earth in 24 hours. Oh, wow. If it was closer to the Earth, it would rotate in less than 24 hours. If it was further, higher than 36 kilometers, it would rotate in longer than a day. But at exactly 36,000 kilometers, it rotates in 24 hours. So that's very special because that's the rotation of the Earth is one rotation in 24 hours. So the fact that the satellite does one orbit in 24 hours means that somebody on the Earth will see that the satellite as a fixed point. So it doesn't need to track the satellite throughout the day. It's a fixed point. So those geostationary satellites, uh, the geostationary orbit is people sometimes refer to as uh, 
your prime real estate in space. It's like your New York Fifth Avenue. It's very <laughs> precious. There's only one geostationary orbit. The advantage is that because it's so high, you only need three satellites equally spaced over that orbit to cover the whole Earth. You don't need the thousands and thousands of satellites that a LEO satellite constellation needs. The drawback is because it's higher, it takes a signal longer to reach the satellite and come back to the Earth. So instead of 30 milliseconds, it might be 500 milliseconds, right? I imagine it's a little more challenging to get a satellite positioned out in that far away and uh, takes a little bit more engineering. Yes, so there's a lot of, <laughs> of engineering uh, expertise that goes into a satellite from, from mechanical to electrical engineering, computer science, thermal engineering, orbital mechanics, propulsion, data handling, attitude control, just to name a few. Uh, just a few basic you know, principles of satellite. Where do they get the power from? Okay. So satellites are generally powered by solar power. So they have solar cells that are attached to wings. A satellite typically has two wings. And then solar cells are attached to those wings and provide power uh, from the sun. There is a few days uh, around the earth, uh, throughout the year where the sun is actually in shadow uh, because the earth is between the satellite and the sun. In those cases where the satellite or the sun is in shadow, the power is provided by batteries inside the satellite. So battery technology is something that has evolved quite drastically over the years. Early satellites used uh, nickel-cadmium battery technology, then they moved to nickel-hydrogen technology. And nowadays, all satellites use lithium-ion, okay. much more efficient battery technology. So that's on the power. That's how the satellite gets its power. Uh, the other important thing about a satellite is propulsion, right? A satellite has some propulsion on board. So not to be confused, the propulsion is not there to prevent the satellite from falling to the Earth, right? The satellite rotates around the Earth through gravitational forces, just the same way the Earth rotates around the sun. The Earth doesn't fall to the sun, right? Or the right. moon doesn't fall to the Earth, and they don't have propulsion. So same thing, the satellite rotates around the Earth through gravitational forces, but the propulsion is there to keep it in place where you want it to be. And it, because if you didn't have propulsion, you will have small movement of the satellite. So you need some type of propulsion. Older generation satellite were using chemical propulsion. So you had liquids that would combine together to provide a combustion. Uh, newer satellites use electric propulsion. So instead of liquid, they're using a gas. Hmm. The gas is usually xenon. Uh, also, xenon has become very, very expensive. So now people are moving to a different gas, krypton, uh, like your kryptonite. You're going back to uh, <laughs> Superman. To, to <laughs> Superman. So uh, propulsion is needed to keep the satellite in place. And when a satellite has finished its work, it's going to a graveyard orbit. We don't keep it at the geostationary orbit because that's where it's your prime Fifth real estate, Avenue. right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you need to move out of there, go to a graveyard orbit. So uh, uh, that's that's something we do. Satellites typically, well, I'm talking here about geostationary satellites, which are more common, uh, operate uh, 
between 15 to 25 years, right? And oh, after, that's interesting, their lifespan. Yeah, after that time, they basically run out of propellant. And uh, before they run out of propellant, uh, they need to be deorbited. Interesting. Because one thing that is specific to, to... So if we talk about satellite technology and what is specific to satellite technology, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is there is no repair shop. Right. <laughs> Something happens to a satellite, you kind of drive it to the corner gas station and and uh, change your battery or or your flat tire. So satellites are designed with additional equipment in in mind. Right. So instead of having one computer, a satellite will probably have two or three computers in case a computer fails. Then you can use the, what is called a redundant unit. Mm-hmm. Uh so no repair shop. There's also no gas station. So we talked about the propulsion on board the satellite, the xenon gas. Once you run out of xenon gas, you cannot move the satellite anymore. So you need to uh, you need to put it to a graveyard orbit to deorbit the satellite as it is. Also in the future, we're talking about refueling satellites on orbit, uh, bringing uh, tankers uh, close to the satellite and then refueling the satellite, and then we will be able to extend the life. So I would say that's something that's specific to satellite technology. No repair shop, no gas station. Another thing that's, <laughs> not that's yet, quite anyway, interesting. Right? That it, <laughs> not, not yet, but it's coming. It's coming. What, what, what time frame do you it, think it's coming? Years? Decades? How, how, how long? What a horizon are oh, we looking at no, there? We're talking about years. Okay. We're talking about yours. There's already concept of extending the life of the satellite by, by attaching another satellite, like we call it a service vehicle, to extend the life. No, those don't transfer propellant from one satellite to another right now. It uses the propellant of the new tow like truck, if you want. like a piggyback ride. <laughs> yes. But, That's fascinating. But yeah, it's coming. It's coming very soon. So the other thing that I think is 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 quite fascinating that our listener will certainly enjoy is that space environment is totally, totally different from what we experience on Earth. On Earth, we're lucky. We're protected by the atmosphere, right? We have this issue with ozone holes in in the atmosphere, but in space, it is harsh. <laughs> so satellites are bombarded by all types of particles. And we're talking electrons, protons, heavy ions, gamma rays, galactic cosmic rays, micrometeoroid, man-made debris. And, and, and so those particles have drastic impact on the satellite electronics. Uh, sometimes it's only disruptive. It's like your computer is is hang up and you just unplug it and replug it and it starts again. And sometimes it's destructive. So suddenly you, your computer was zapped and it's not working anymore. So uh, this is something that, that is harsh, uh, uh, especially uh, what is called CME, Corona Mass Ejection. You you can search it on the net. There's cool pictures. So it's basically solar activities. Uh, On the sun, you have some particles that are being ejected. They're called solar flares. And and this creates a a magma 
that's traveling from the sun to the earth and then it reaches the earth and the satellite that are around the earth it perturbs the electronics of those satellites so that's 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 an issue that is understood uh, we're learning every day to understand this environment better and how we can protect the satellite from that environment, making sure the electronics is designed to be robust, to sustain these big solar flares and, and other uh, particles that are hitting the satellite. But that's specific to, to space technology. I would think, though, that from the experience and the things you learn from what the electronics encounter in space would help uh, electronics be more reliable on Earth in a more friendly environment as well, right? Yes, yes. And and those big uh, solar events have impacted the Earth. Uh, I think in the 1950s, it was a well-documented event where several power plants uh, on Earth uh, got shut off due to these solar activities reaching the Earth. Wow. So what do you find most exciting right now in the world of satellite technology or satellite networks? Well, there's so many exciting things, right? So connectivity, right? It's all about being connected all the time, everywhere you are. So we're not forcing you to be connected, right? right? If you don't want to be connected, it's up to you. Don't be connected. But if you want to be connected, you should have the ability to be connected wherever you are, whenever you want to be connected. So the big things over the last few years are in-flight connectivity, right? Oh, yeah. Being able to fly on a commercial airline and check your emails, your messages, surf the internet, maybe watch a video. That's big. Same thing with uh, cruises, right? In the past, you would take a cruise. There was you would be off the grid. Right. Nowadays, right. you can be connected on your cruises. So so mobility uh, services are very important. Uh, satellites are used for to close the education gap in remote areas where students uh, don't have access to their teachers on site. We connect teachers to students. Uh, telemedicine, where physicians are not on-site to, to provide uh, services. Satellites are used to connect the physician to, to the patient, weather and climate. So uh, recently we launched uh, a satellite that was hosting, or that is still hosting an instrument for NASA, measuring the pollution all over the US. This is the first time that a satellite will be measuring the pollution from the geostationary altitude to understand what is driving the pollution in big cities. How can we understand and be able to treat and, and reduce pollution, right? Wow. And, and I imagine, too, you, you, you talked a little bit about weather, that in some um, catastrophic situations like hurricanes or earthquakes, weather-related events, the satellites provide valuable support in those situations as well. That's correct. I mean, satellites are, are the perfect solution when it comes to restoring communication means in areas that have been devastated by either a natural or even a man-made event. So hurricanes and earthquake are perfect example. Emergency response are crucial to saving lives. You need reliable, stable, uninterrupted communication services, and satellite provide this. You can come with a very simple, portable, reliable easy to install terminal, and within 24 hours, you'll restore communication uh, in, in this area. Intelsat has been working with uh, 
uh, an organization called help.ngo uh, that is helping restore communication when crises occur. We were involved in, in 2021 with uh, the earthquake in Haiti and restoring uh, communication where nearly a, a million people got it get impacted by that earthquake. So wow. satellites, perfect solution for a hurricane, earthquake, or wars, for that yeah. matter. Well, it sounds like you have found a job or a, 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 a vocation uh, that is allowing you to live your middle school dreams. It is. It is. And, and like I said, I, I, this is not unique to me. I think it's kind of unique to this industry that... Most people are passionate about what they do. They put in the effort and, and they love their job. And, and, and it's exciting because there's so much happening in, in space. Uh, there's been more progress in, in, in space technology over the last few years than there's been over the previous 50 years. Uh, we see a lot of startup, uh, launch vehicle startup, giving access to space, uh, which is crucial. Uh, startup is new technology. We, we talked about satellite, but the other thing that is also progressing rapidly are the ground terminals that connect to the satellites. There's a lot of uh, improvement in, in satellite technology. And, and we're lucky uh, that we have two uh, wealthy uh, person in the world, Mr. Elon Musk and Mr. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, that are both passionate about space. And they decided to... Uh, to invest in space and and are uh, are bringing people to this industry. So, what does the future hold? What what would you like to see um, the direction go in in terms of what's next for satellites or space exploration in general? So, in the short term, the industry is developing what is called software defined satellite. So, satellites that are more software centric, where basically you can reprogram the satellite to give the coverage that you want, put the capacity where you need it. You could, you would be able to follow an aircraft path, for example, and just put the capacity where the aircraft is at it at any given time. This, those are called software-defined satellites, software-defined networks. So this is coming up. This is going to be there in, in the next two years. Wow. Yeah. In orbit servicing, so... I talked about the the rendezvous and docking that uh, we did with Northrop Grumman to be able to extend the life of a satellite. We're going to be able to assemble large structure in space. Uh, so this is also a, a branch of the industry that is that is growing very fast, the in-orbit servicing branch. And then maybe longer term, uh, I'd like to see more orbit debris removal. There's still a lot of debris out there. Uh, specifically launch vehicle upper stage that were left in space. And we need to find a way to remove those debris because they're polluting space and they're, they're a hazard for a collision uh, to space assets. So I would like to see more debris removal. Uh, direct to handset. I think there's several companies that are working to be able to provide connection directly from a satellite to your mobile phone. Wow. The technology is not quite there because mobile phones are very small, right? And satellites are far away. But this is going to be coming very, very soon. Autonomous cars uh, is another big thing that uh, will be coming and satellite will be a big part of, of that. So, so very exciting. 
Laser. Yeah. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention is laser uh, communication, uh, communicating between satellites and from satellites to the Earth using laser rather than radio frequency signals. Mm. Uh, that will also uh, be a huge progress. So very, There's- very exciting uh, time. For sure, there's no lack of things you're you're not investigating and uh, and conquering. So thank you so much, Jean Luc, for joining today. This was really interesting. I will think differently when I look up into the sky. <laughs> yes, thank you for hosting me, Susan. Thank you. Before we sign off, if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can help us grow by visiting our feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcast, please be sure to hit follow. That's it for us. I'm Susan Campbell, and that was another episode of The Big Rethink. 